Good morning. My name is Michael McCusker. It is probably because December is the darkest month of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, with its longest nights and shortest days, that medievalists chose to commemorate Christ's nativity to lighten human spirits on this top half of the earthly globe. With a bright star and a glowing baby in a manger, signaling rebirth and lengthening daylight at the solstice. Whatever the purpose, Christmas is Yule, Yin, and Yang, and no little hypocrisy, salt, and peppering its annual ritual. Any wonder why sensible birds fly south and return north following old Saul's annual yo-yo trajectory up and down global Gaia. A great New Yorker magazine cartoon of a few years back portrayed TV vehicles of the three major American media networks racing across a desert towards the star of Bethlehem. I start with something I wrote, Snow Time for Santa. I saw the cops kick and club Santa Claus at the end of a downtown alley. I didn't have a video camera, so I didn't interfere. They gave him a final kick, a last rap on the head, which was covered by a red stocking cap, looked around the alley, and walked out onto the busy street. I should have stayed out of the alley. I was lucky the cops hadn't seen me at the other end a witness to their violence upon old St. Nick. I didn't want them kicking and clubbing me, but I had to answer a question that occurred to me when I first saw him knocked down by a club swipe. Why had cops beat up Santa Claus? It was Santa Claus, all right. He was fat and red-faced, crawling on his hands and knees in a red suit that had fluffy white fringes on the sleeves and cuffs when I got to him. I was scared the cops might come back and looked out from the alley down the street. A large crowd of Christmas shoppers thronged the sidewalks, impatiently shoving against each other. I saw the cops haranguing a group of people in the street who were carrying don't shop signs. When I looked back in the alley, Santa Claus was collapsed against a building wall, holding his head and breathing heavily with a sort of rattle to it like something inside was loose. His eyes looked up at me in pain. Why, I asked, horrified. Why did they do this to you? He didn't answer at first. I thought he might have passed out, or worse, but his eyes rapidly blinked and his lips opened and closed a number of times before noise finally came out, more a series of groans than words. They said it was a warning, he gasped, leaning the side of his head against the building wall. His white beard was ragged and matted with blood. Tufts seemed to be torn out. What the hell kind of warning, I nearly shouted, furious that Santa Claus was the victim of police brutality. They said they knew I was flying snow in from the North Pole. He looked at me in confused pain. Why would they get upset about snow? 
The absurdity of his statement struck me like a snowball in the face. Besides, why would I want to carry snow with me the one time of the year I can get away from it? He took off his cap and tenderly felt the top of his head where blood clotted in white hair. I was astonished. The cops beat you up because they think you're smuggling cocaine into the country, I said in disbelief. He stared at me wide-eyed. It's called snow, I said. A drug, he exclaimed. He seemed to forget his pain in his sudden indignation. He rose unsteadily to his feet against the wall and looked at me with rage in his eyes. They accuse me of turning little kids into dopeheads. Illogical, but so was Santa Claus himself. A fat elf hardly anyone believed in anymore, not even children. I wouldn't have believed it myself, except he didn't act like a store Santa Claus. Yet doubts assailed me. He looked like he was going to seed. Probably not enough believers anymore. Business suffering. Getting more difficult to pay for heat at the North Pole. I thought of many ways he could smuggle so-called illicit snow in with the toys he carried. Unscrew a doll's head and there's enough crack cocaine inside to blow off little sister's head. His outrage cremated my doubts. He glared at me with the same kind of passionate fury that pictures of the anti-slavery zealot John Brown convey just before he was hanged. I was confused, wishing I hadn't stopped in the alley. What was he doing here anyway? It wasn't Christmas Eve. He sighed. A little scouting trip, he said, reading my mind. And it seemed his rage dissipated in that little breath. His whole plump body shriveled like an old fruit. He started to hurt again. I've got to do it these days, he said in a sad voice. I can't keep up with the changes. My customer base is so much different than it used to be. He leaned heavily against the wall. His eyes looked me up and down as if appraising the kind of boy I had been. Did you ever believe in me? He asked wearily. Well, sure, I said. Everybody does. Kids always think you're real. Another sort of pain. An older, familiar psychic hurt. Redrew his face into a very old man's. They don't think I'm real anymore, he said sadly. At least normal kids don't. Parents don't encourage them to believe in me anymore or anything else except making money. Yeah, I said, trying to track the turn of talk. But don't you think you also encourage materialism by giving toys to kids? He shrugged. Maybe, but I don't think so. I know the arguments, he said, and I don't think I do anything more than try to make kids happy for a few minutes once a year. Why don't you give them something besides toys? Simple things like, like what? He smiled grimly. You don't think I've thought about it? But they want more and bigger and state-of-the-art. That's what they ask for. I tech stuff I don't know anything about and can't keep up with the demand, even with the shrinking number of kids on my list. So you're here getting ideas, I said. Sort of, he said slowly. He held a silky handkerchief to his head as a compress.
I'm also thinking of selling my name to a big toy company. Little Asian girls make those toys in sweatshops, I said sharply. Why not just smuggle dope? He looked at me in sad contempt. Easy for you to say. You're not a bygone icon who likes to eat well and doesn't like to be cold. I think I've got one last chance before everybody loses faith. He softened and said apologetically, Christmas shows people know how to make a profit out of their spiritual bonhomie. They like to give presents to each other and ring up a lot of sales for the stores they work in. He looked at the blood on his handkerchief and said somewhat fiercely, So I figure I deserve a slice of the fruitcake after a century of toys for tots. I was about to give a sharp rebuke about the odious irony of Santa Claus slain on the backs of children when I heard feet crunch into the alley. The cops were back. We told you to get out of town, fatso, one snarled, slapping his club against the wall. Santa Claus cringed. I ran. Just before I got out of the alley, I turned around and saw the cops kicking and clubbing Santa Claus, just like they did earlier. They probably finished him off this time. Thanks to the San Francisco Examiner for the story about a sidewalk Santa Claus who was beat up by city police for singing Christmas carols outside a dinner for handicapped persons, which inspired my spin on it after seeing a cartoon about it for In These Times by Terry LeBan. And now, by Jim McCafferty. Yes, Virginia, there's got to be a Santa. The following letter was received, postage due, in mid-September. Dear Mr. Knows Everything, I am eight years old and still a virgin. Some of my little friends, Fat Fanny, Annie McVeigh, and Tommy Flanagan, with the busted zipper on his fly, say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, ask you. You think you know everything. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Virginia O'Hanlon, Oregon School for Wayward Girls. Virginia, your little friends are wrong. You will find as you go through life that this is the case more often than not. They have been afflicted by the skepticism of a skeptical age and also take a perverse pleasure in lying, a not unusual trait in children. Adults, too, come to think of it. They think that nothing can be that is not comprehensible by their little minds. Here you've got a fat guy who slides down chimneys that are usually less than 12 inches around, a sleigh and reindeer that fly, and expensive toys by the millions that are given away free. You got a problem with any of that? Well, I guess. But look at all the people who believe, merchants who eagerly start putting up pictures of the jolly old elf right after the 4th of July. The butchers, the bakers, the candlestick makers, and vendors of any conceivable product line that can be done up in red and green. And if it can't be sold at any other time of the year, it will be in December. 
Such an outpouring of faith must mean something. Yes, Virginia, there's got to be a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as greed and avarice and envy and gullibility exist. And can there be any doubt about that? Alas, how dreary would be the world, especially between Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day, if there were no Santa Claus. Imagine displays of hearts and cupids in November. The chocolates would be even staler by February. Not believe in Santa Claus. You might as well not believe in fairies or gay rites. Your papa could hire a bunch of guys to watch all the chimneys on Christmas Eve. But what would that prove? That he's got more money than brains? That's all. Nobody sees Santa Claus except in pictures and cartoons and on cards and in the malls with fake beards and bad breath and a soggy lap where little kids who waited in line for hours and then couldn't wait sat. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor adults can see. I had an uncle who saw bats coming out of cracks in the plaster, but he drank a lot. There were no bats that we could see. That was no proof that they were not there, and that a sufficient intake of bonded scotch might have made them clear to all. Nobody can conceive or imagine the wonders that there are unseen and unseeable in the world. Perhaps we should all drink more. No Santa Claus. <laughs> he lives, and he lives forever, as long as the Visa card holds out. Viva Mattel, Kmart, Radio Shack, and Hallmark. Your papa is a smartass. Next time you write, put on enough postage. Mr. Knows Everything. And that was by the late Jim McCafferty. Jim and his also deceased wife, Carol, once lived in Astoria and were my neighbors and landlords for a decade. He wrote this for the North Coast Times Eagle in 1994. And now, A Child's Christmas, which I wrote. The scene is a large room in a luxury condominium in a coastal Pacific Northwest city. The room is expensively furnished, lavishly displaying prominent designer names and fashionable artworks. A child sits in the room in a Hilda Latte chair, staring at the empty screen of an oversized television set. A small pink and white Christmas tree decorated with blue glass balls has been placed on the television cabinet. A few wrapped packages are under the tree. The child's parents enter. Father, it's Christmas. Child, for you maybe. Father, that's hardly the spirit. Christmas is for everybody. Child, pouting, not for me. Father, that's an unhealthy attitude you're developing. Very negative and self-defeating. You should think of Christmas as a day of giving, good feeling, and cheerfulness. Child, I don't feel good and I don't see any reason to be cheerful. Mother, do we have to go through this every time, even on Christmas? All you do is complain. I won't stand for it. This is Christmas. 
And Santa Claus brought us all some wonderful presents. Child, I am Santa Claus. Father, you are becoming a sullen child. You should mellow out and be like other children. Child, other children aren't forced to go to work to support their parents. Father, many children repay with gratitude the sacrifices their families have made for them. Child, at my age, I should be in school and playing with other children. Father, now you know it's only temporary. Child, you said that last year. Father, last year I didn't think the goddamn pandemic would last so long or that the stock market would be so shaky. I thought I could flip my derivatives if things got bad and bundle a few subprimes and dump them if it got real bad. But I got thrown off the ball and mauled by the bear. Mother, let's stop talking about it and try to be a little cheerful for once. You're just too negative, child. Your father's doing the best he can. Child, I don't want to be cheerful. And don't tell me I'm negative. I'm a kid, and I want to be a kid while I'm still a kid. Father, don't act like we're taking your whole childhood away from you. We're just borrowing a little of it. Child, you're taking the best part. Father, don't be such a martyr. We've taken good care of you. You've got the best quality clothes and the most expensive toys and the best daycare. Mother, and we sent you to that cute little academy. Child, it was a prison run by sadists and child molesters. Father, you are really getting to be a sullen child. Child, you're not letting me be a child at all. Father, well, if you really want to know, prolonged childhood is a relatively recent phenomenon to keep children from unfairly competing on the labor market. Child, I thought child labor was illegal because it's a form of slavery. Father, you're not engaged in slave labor. Child, yes, I am. Father, you are acting like a child. Child, I am a child. Mother, I don't know why you are always complaining. You have a head start on almost everyone your age. Father, your mother's right. You have an edge that can take you to the top. Child, Grandpa said you didn't have to work when you were growing up. And to Mother, you didn't have to either. Father, a trifle embarrassed. These are difficult times. It's tougher than it used to be, even without the coronavirus or the shaky market. Everybody wants everything all at once, and they don't care how they get it. There's not enough to go around anymore at least not as much as everyone wants. Child, why do we have to have so much? Father, I wish you would understand the importance of appearances. To be prosperous, one must appear prosperous. How should I expect anyone to accept my credit on a business investment if they think I'm indigent? It's bad enough I've been taking a bath on subprime housing loans and my hedge funds in the toilet. We must never give anyone the impression we've lost money or that we can't keep up appearances. This coronavirus isolation is in some respects a godsend. Child, 
so you send me to a sweatshop. Father, quit exaggerating. Your mother and I have been very resourceful keeping things going. Child, I wish you would give me some of the credit. Father, well, of course, we're not neglecting your input. Child, input, I'm paying for everything. Father, be patient, can't you? I just have to stabilize my portfolio. I've still got the guts and brains to buy and break up any bank or corporation. The problem is the money's disappearing so fast, nobody's willing to put up any credit or cash for anything. If I can just bundle up and dump my suddenly worthless junk on somebody else, child, you could get a job. Father, don't be impertinent. I'm a player. I speculate in stocks and securities, subprimes and derivatives. That's how I make my money, knowing when to buy in and cash out. I was flying high until the damned corona pandemic popped the bubble. Mother, your father's a mega player. Child, Grandpa says your whole generation is worthless. He says you never grew up and you're all spoiled rotten. He says all you want is money. Father... Your grandfather's senile. He never figured it out. It's not what you make that counts in this world. You don't have to build ships or skyscrapers if you can quasi-legally loot the other guy's portfolio and sell it off to pay for your acquisition of his resources and pocket the profits. That's the way things are. We have returned to the old-fashioned way of making money, ripping it off from anybody you can outsmart. The big question, child, is which side of the world's moral chaos do you wish to be on? Mother, we should open our presents now. Father hands mother and child a gift each. Mother unwraps an expensive fur piece, originally worn by a deceased animal. Father unwraps a gold chain. The child unwraps a kitty jam's lunch pail. Child, is this all I get? A lunchbox? Mother, well, dear, we can't afford to give you lunch money anymore. Child, why don't you just cut out my lunches? Father, if I don't get liquidity pretty soon, you might not even get breakfast. Now it's time for you to go to work. Off with you. Child, almost wailing. I don't want to work on Christmas. Mother, now, dear, don't fuss. Why don't you open your lunchbox? Mother made you a turkey sandwich, especially for Christmas. Defeated, the child sulks toward the door. Father, we won't be home when you get off work. Your mother and I are having Christmas dinner with a private equity entrepreneur we want to look over. Mother, Merry Christmas, dear. The child goes out without a sound and closes the door quietly behind. That was something I wrote, and it's revised from the North Coast Times Eagle, December 1988. So, Christmas, which is among the most tumultuous days of every year. Ask any cop, paramedic, or news reporter. Murders and suicides galore. Drunken assaults upon family, friends, and strangers. Strangling a spouse with this year's lousy tie or cheap sparkling necklace, carving up the turkey sitting at the table next to the platter, little boys and girls molested by merry old 
sheriffs, caroling groups mowed down by Uzi-armed psychopaths, and other assorted Halloween nightmares crawling down midnight chimneys. Maybe if everyone in chorus shouts goodwill to everybody else, it might drown out the unholy howling of hellhounds for a moment or two. Merry Christmas. This is Michael McCusker. Nevada Soul is today's program engineer. The great American black singer Paul Robeson, whose voice was as deep as a well, once testified before the inquisitory house of un-American activities during the frenzied Joe McCarthy era. Robeson said that in his travels throughout the world, he had never been a threat to the USA, that he represented the true America, not the America of white racist politics, such as John Stennis or John Foster Dulles, but the America of black people, of the poor and the victims of prejudice and right-wing hysteria. His statement was excluded from the congressional record, which records daily congressional proceedings. Yesterday, December 21st, was not only the annual winter solstice, it was also Forefathers' Day, which commemorates the arrival of the English pilgrim ship Mayflower's first landing party in 1621 on the North American continent.